All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Black Light Podcast. Why are you shouting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. You're trying to be like me now. Uh, I, was really, I was genuinely just trying to, to do it right. Uh, what, are we, what are we even doing here? We never really talked about the podcast or what the point oh, is. I have some stuff to talk about with you today. Oh, dang. Okay. Do you like, want to uh, introduce us, Like I'm in trouble. I oh, know. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to the Black Light Co- Podcast. Uh, my name is Adonia Jaja. This is Levi T. Rita. We're just talking about things. We're talking about not just photography, but photography. We're talking about the world. We're talking about politics. We're talking about dancing. We're talking about love. It's all here. So, uh, yeah, this is Black Light. We're kind of exposing uh, the deeper truths of Dang. Boom. That can't be true. That's that possibly be true. true. That's very ambitious. Okay. So <laughs> I, I had some enlightening news this week in my life. You have big news? It's, I mean, lightning? enlightening news. Oh, enlightening. But it's also big news. Big news. And it brings our worlds a little bit closer together. The two of us? Yes. Whoa. Could we be any closer than we already are? I mean, we're already physically very close. <laughs> <laughs> we're physically, we're actually in a two-by-two closet. <laughs> <laughs> just so that microphones can pick it up. No, this this means it brings um, the possibility for us to be more than friends. Okay, you're gonna have to go ahead and clarify that <laughs> with the quickness. So uh, I, um, for my birthday, my mother got me a DNA test, oh. and I took this DNA test. Wow! And I discovered something about myself. What did you discover? I am two and a half percent Raptor. Nigerian. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, welcome. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, uh, I'll accept. Yes. So, so now I need you to teach me everything about being Nigerian. Well, I think we can start off with the accent. Okay. <laughs> right. Is it racist if I do it? No. Okay. You're, you're Nigerian. Okay, okay. Yeah, any percent African, you're African. All right. Uh, you know that. So, I do uh, know that because I'm African. Yeah. Uh, so, wow. What else, what else was in the DNA test? We'll get back to okay. teaching you how to be Nigerian. I was 43% Central American. Okay. Makes sense because I'm actually most of that is indigenous Native American from Central America. Yeah, um, I can't take the eye contact, bro. Like, just, just look somewhere else. <laughs> I look somewhere else. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm also thirty-one percent Iberian, which Liberian? is Iberian, like Spain, oh. Oh, the Iberian okay. Peninsula, because the Spanish came over and slaughtered the Central Americans. And also, you know, did terrible things to them, hence how I have ancestry there. Um, hmm. And I'm also a little bit Jewish. And when you say a little bit, there's no percentage? Like 4 or 5%. That's a substantial percentage. I guess so. I take the equity. Okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm also about 13%-ish, something in that range, of North African. So that was, it wasn't like no specific ethnicity, but like Moroccan or Tunisian or other things like that. Oh, wow. Arab, probably, some Arab roots. Um, Maybe Egyptian, whatever. I don't know. I'll take it. And then two and a half percent Nigerian. Wow. And it was very specific. It was Nigerian, not like, not like, like southwestern, Western, yeah, Western African. Central Africa. It's like Nigerian. Two and a half percent. Two and a half percent. Yeah. Uh, dude, how accurate are these tests? Where, where did you get it? From? It's a DNA heritage, something like that. I can look it up. No, I mean, I'm just just curious. DNA heritage. Something. Oh, my heritage. DNA results. And what did you have to do? Did you have to send in a swab? I took a swab, so I got a little cotton swab, a little swab my inside of my cheeks for like 30 seconds. You throw it in this container, and you mail it in. You do two of them, you mail it in. And then like four weeks later, they send you some results. And do they send you two sets of results, or do they send you a compilation of... I don't know how the results work. I think... I definitely only got one set of results, but I think they... I'm imagining they're just 
doing that so they have your DNA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that like there are outliers in both, and so they have to right. test it twice and then give you kind of the most accurate I'm, results. I'm assuming that I'm going to go yes. That's how it's done. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, yeah. Um, wow, that's pretty amazing. That's yeah. really, really interesting. What did you think you were before you did the test? Like, besides I mean, the Nigerian part, what was your surprise? Like, uh, it wasn't a huge surprise. I thought Central American for sure. Mm-hmm. I was actually surprised it didn't like expand on that more and say, hey, you're this percent Mexican or Guatemalan or whatever it is. I don't know. It was just like blanket statement, Central America. Wow. So, um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, the, the other stuff, I mean, I was a little bit of European as well too because my mom is... European in some descent, um, but it was like pretty small, like ten percent or so. Um, I think the Nigerian was the big surprise. Yeah. I do know my un- like my dad's cousin, so kind of like an uncle, like a second cousin. He did a, like DNA tests, so he did like some kind of like ethnicity background checks a couple years ago, and he found out that we were or his DNA was like thirty something percent Native American, mm-hmm. but specifically tribes that were in Central America or Mexico. Oh wow! So. When it says Central American, I'm assuming that a lot of that DNA or a lot of that ancestry is actually an indigenous, just of a wide variety of people. So that's really amazing. So yeah. So did your parents also do the test? They did not. Okay. Well, but my brother did actually. Oh really? Yeah. Same results or? He, I checked his results. He didn't have the Nigerian DNA though. Wouldn't that make it an outlier then? Possibly. Or same parents or? Same parents, yeah. But also, we weren't a hundred percent DNA match. I, that's that's weird, right? I think it's weird. But I also was wondering, like, because you know, there's different DNA, and you know, are you an exact fifty percent DNA construct of your parents? Like, exactly fifty percent of your mother's DNA and exactly fifty percent of your father's DNA, or is As there like to... where there's like a range of DNA where like you have more DNA from one person than the other? I guess I don't know, but I would think that. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Right. It's AD and Levi talk about Something genetics. Because I don't things they don't know about. This is not a genetics <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, but I, I think what I actually think is that uh, everyone's DNA is different, so it should be different, right? But I would think that your genetic makeup would be like your heritage pattern, makeup. Your heritage makeup would be similar. Well, if so your I'm DNA, what if the DNA is from like the Nigerian DNA, this outlying DNA? What if that? Is present in me that those strains of DNA, but not present in my brother. Okay, I guess with when you're dealing with such small numbers, sure, sure. is it possible to like? Yeah. I'm a certain ethnicity that he would not be if it's that small of a percentage. Yeah, my only thing is that you're getting. I, I hope you're not getting a false positive. You know, like I feel like I need to take at least two more tests to find out if I I'm truly two and a half percent Nigerian. I feel like. What kind of The first thing I thought of was like. Me and AD are probably cousins. <laughs> Most likely, we're cousins. I mean, isn't there? There's three factions in Nigeria, right? Three major tribe groups. Three major tribes. Meaning that we could have been blood enemies in the past, I think or we, we could be brothers. Yeah, we probably were blood enemies. Okay. Yes. Which uh, I don't have very many enemies in my life. Like I've, I've always kind of wanted to have like a playful enemy. Like someone who like a like an arch nemesis. Yeah, or? like well, not so serious, but someone who just like tries to trip me. Like you a know? rival. Yeah, like like oh, did you just try to trip me? Oh, you got me again. <laughs> you know <laughs> that kind of thing. Like I don't actually want to be in a fight. I don't want him to try to kill me, but I think it would make life way more interesting if I had, you know, some sort of like enemy that I call him an enemy, but I think the real word is just like uh, 
a, a prank, a friend that pranks me a lot, like more than I would want him to. Okay. <laughs> like, like, all right, dude, like I get it, but he's just like, <laughs> you know, and I don't know, he right. wears different clothes than me. <laughs> I think you're thinking of an evil twin. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> would not want an evil twin. Okay. I, I think, would, don't think I'd want an evil twin, but really? yeah, because they're evil. But you still have What if twin? you have a twin and you're the evil twin, but you don't know it? Ooh, and I'm like constantly like... You're fo- yeah, you're fooling his life <laughs> and his plans. <laughs> he's like always behind me. He's just mad at me for everything that I do. He's like, why? You took, the la- <laughs> took my latte. <laughs> you're always taking his beverage in yeah, front of him? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, speak- this is going to be a diversion. And I don't think we resolved our, our genetic debacle, but we can come back to that. Have you heard of dime catting? Dime catting? Dime catting. Uh, I would like to... Give you a definition of what I think. Okay. You tell me what you think it is, and I'll tell you dime then I'll tell you more about what I've uncovered it to be. Alright, so I think dime catting is cat calling women who you think are dime pieces. <laughs> like you think are a perfect ten. A dime piece. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, your cat calling dime catting is when you're like someone who's probably out of your league, but you're still gonna try to cat call them. So it's called dime catting, and you're like, hey, like, hey, uh, Michelle Obama, <laughs> looking great today. <laughs> okay. Not that I would ever catcall, but if I had to, it would be to a dime piece. So I feel like we should delete that. Okay. Just kidding. I, I would never do Okay, that. so what... I mean, based on that, I feel like I don't want to play Balderdash with you because I feel like you would win. Really that's good. pretty good. Yeah. But that's not what it is. Dime catting, what I've uncovered, is a form of pranking somebody. Oh. What you do is you take cardboard... And you cut out the shape of a cat. Okay. You, take two, you, take, you paint it black. You take two dimes and you put it where their eyes should be. What? And you set it up in the road at night. And when someone drives by, <laughs> they would see the cat and swerve a little bit or stop. What? Because they thought that there was a cat in the road. But it's just a plastic cutout. No cats are harmed. What a horrible and, thing. I thought it was hilarious when I heard it. Wait, when they swerve and get in like an accident? No, no, they like... Pump the brakes or swerve or stop because they don't want to hit the cat. So you wouldn't sure. put like in the middle of a busy road, like in a neighborhood. Well, my friend was telling me this yesterday. He, they were dime catting in college, and you know, cars after car were stopping, and okay, those cars after car were stopping. You know, and you know, brakes were going on, and thought it was it was funny. But then this one car stopped, turned on the brakes, and totally stopped, and stopped there for a few seconds. And my friends. So there were two cars, and he was in the, the car that was in, in, the, in the rear, and there was another car in the front. And his friend in the car that was ahead of them freaked out, turned his lights on, and drove off. Well, the car that had been dime-catted saw them, turned, turned on his car, turned around, and started chasing them. <laughs> and a chase ensued, ending in the... Uh, <laughs> AD forgot to his microphone on. My microphone's on. <laughs> now it's on. Anyways, the chase ended with the driver of the car throwing a bottle at the other car. Oh my he, gosh. He so did not want to be dime catted. He was I, so angry at the situation. It's such a weird thing to do. And I know I told that story terribly, but I, I, think, I mess up the story with my microphone. But it's okay. No, but I think that the concept is hilarious, though. Yeah, I mean, the concept could be expanded to pretty much anything. You could, you could dime baby. Okay. I'm just saying, not that I would want to do but here's, that. Could but you, we have to actually paint a whole baby. Here's the thing, the dime cat works because the dimes or the reflect eyes. like the yeah. eyes. Oh, yeah, because they have that back coating right. in their eyes that like, we can see A baby night. doesn't have those kind of eyes, yeah. unless it's a terrifying baby. Yeah, like a freaking... Uh, like a Rosemary's baby. What, what did uh, a Riddick baby, 
Chronicles of Riddick? Do you yeah, remember I that? I didn't see it. I was homeschooled. Chronicles so of I was Riddick? allowed to. Okay, well, Chronicles of Riddick, there was a guy who's, we're, we're going to call Vin Diesel. Okay. All right, that's, that's just what we're going to call him. And he got implants in his eyes so he could see at night. He got, like, new eyes so he could see at night. Okay. Uh, because he was living on a dark world. Like, the world was really dark, but he was, like, a murderer, but he wanted to be, like, really good at murdering, so he, and he came from this planet so he could see at night. And so they based the whole entire movie off of this guy. <laughs> I think the lights go out and then the movie begins. Okay. The thing that sounds terrible so far, but keep going. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all I was going to say, that this could be a Riddick baby. Okay. Like, anyway, let's not talk about that, because okay. we're not, we're not going to dive baby. <laughs> Any Would you dime cat somebody though? Would you dime cat the general population? I feel like that's a little dangerous for me. Okay. Like uh, maybe I would put a dime cat on the side of the road, like on. Well, the it, well it wouldn't go in the middle of the road. It would be like the side of the road. Just you know, it's not like designed to be like in the middle where you're swerving totally out of the road. It's just like a just small enough. Leg. Just enough to be like, oh, what's that? Yeah, probably. I probably. I would do it in the grass off the road. Okay. I don't think I would put it even inside the road at all because I don't want anyone to. I don't want anyone to crash. That's a little tough. You know, <laughs> so, I imagine I would, uh, I'd be very careful. It's kind of like urban cow tipping. Is it? I mean, I, I never cow tipped. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to say, but. I mean, I've never cow tipped either, but. I don't even think it's real. It's but. just, no, it's definitely real. Gosh, you're right. I have no idea if cow tipping is real. I don't think it's real. I think it's the thing that country folk tell city folk. And they got oh, a nice chuckle. Oh my gosh! Kind of like uh, snipe hunting. Have you heard of that? I, no. If you ever go to the country, they'll talk about going snipe hunting, and they'll they'll take the city folk, the city slicker, say, "Hey, we're going snipe hunting." And what you do is you go into the woods, and they'll explain that the way to catch these snipes is to clap a certain pattern and make a certain silly noise, and then they'll really play with the person by making that person do that by themselves. For as long as they can. <laughs> but there's no bird called a snipe. And so they're just like, hey, you want to go snipe hunting? And the person's like, sure, well, sure. Who would agree to that? I would never go into the woods by myself. No, you don't go by yourself. You go with the people. Okay. They're like, hey, just do this. And so everyone's out there doing it for hours and they're just playing a joke on you. There's no actual snipe. So I wonder if cow tipping is the same. I always thought, should we look up a cow tipping video? I mean, this we is, probably should. This is the age of. Uh, this is the age of YouTube. Yeah, this is the age where there are no secrets. Like you can't fool anyone. I'm sure we can find a video of someone going snipe hunting <laughs> as well. <laughs> All right, so should we talk about something photography related on this podcast? I guess we could. What's going on in the, your photo world or the photo world? Um, I don't know. Any new trends? Any new skin tone things that are happening? Are we, have we finished with orange skin tones? Are we still doing that? Is that still a thing? Uh, yeah, it's definitely still a thing. Okay. I'm not doing it, but the uh, the people collect are still doing orange skin tones. <laughs> okay. And they're doing no yellows in their skin tones, so there's like no oranges. It's like all pale white people. Uh, like it's very interesting. They're like ghost people skin tones, which I think sometimes looks good. I'm actually oddly okay with trends, even though I'm not... I don't like partaking it. What are you What are you okay with the trends about? Like, why do you like trends? Or what is your... Yeah, I'm curious about that. Expand that more. Sure. I'm going to sure. ask more questions about it. Sure. Tell me more about it. I want to hear more. All right. I don't have an issue, even though I decide to go with the classic look, um, like for my clients, and that's what I'm going towards, speaking to the younger generation or the hipper or more like, 
you know, the whatever generation that, that that speaks to. I think it's following, it's flowing on the zeitgeist of the times. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with going with a trend for a certain time. Now, do I think that we have a classic look that can also be a trend? Yes. I think what we think of as classic is also um, a trend, in, but it's just a longer form of trend. Sure. But I go with that look because I think that timeless classic look for me um, can is just, that's what my clients want. That's how I see the world. Okay, let me unpack this for a second. Are sure. you saying then that trends are the stepping stone to finding a more classic look? Like you have to start with a trend in order to find some of yourself? That, or you, No. Okay. No, not at all. I, Do you think no. that's true though? Like that you, the trends are the building blocks to classicism where you come back to the roots of something to a more classic uh, example of things or do you feel like that trends are just whatever and no relationship to actual classic whatever it, whatever the trend is mimicking sure um, I don't yeah I think a trend okay so this has a lot to do with how I view art okay in total so if we're looking at the photographer as an artist and we look at, like, the artistic trends that have happened over time. So, like, Impressionism, Expressionism, things like that. These, you can consider a trend or a movement. I would think a trend might be a little less of a movement. And it's just more of, like, like it's just cool and hip, but it might not last. In 30 years, we might not look back at it and appreciate it for what it was. Okay. We might look back at a trend and say, hmm. You know, like that, we took a bad turn or we took a, di- a different turn. Whereas a movement, I think, for me, it has something to do with uh, changing the course of how we see that art work, that, that, that art. Okay. So in 100 years, hopefully, if we make a movement in photography, which I still think we can because we're so young, that uh, in. Uh, that will say, oh, during this, we started shooting wedding photography, or wedding photography became this sort of artistic thing, because I think we are. We are we're becoming stronger as an art form. Wedding photography isn't just like this second side gig. It's people's like main hustle now. We're, okay. we're like yeah. pushing. And so a trend for me, but I don't think that it's bad to follow a trend. I think a trend can speak to a certain people group or a certain like zeitgeist, if you will, and that's okay. Make your money. You know, like a trend. If I put orange skin tones and that really says to Oompa Loompas that <laughs> that's how they want to be photographed, then by all means, do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's still a beautiful photograph. And mm-hmm. I look at a person with a pale skin photograph, I still think, dang, that, that moves me a little bit. It's still mm-hmm. a gorgeous photo. Sure. Now, will those last the test of time? I... Personally, I don't know, but I would hope that what I think of as this classic look, which is also a trend, I think, even though it might last longer, I think hopefully that that will be what lasts forever. Okay. I mean, those, I think that's very, very interesting. I think that's, I think it's fairly accurate too. I do have two, two partitions off of that thought that I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on. Okay. So this... There's two precursors. I think they're, they're both related to the same topic. It's, you know, but I think they both offshoot in different directions. One of them is political, and one of them um, is is probably not as political. Um, the first side of it being okay, orange skin tones. Wait, so they're both political? I guess the, one's very political. One's very political, or one one's directly related to our, our time right now in America, okay, and enough. one is just more art related. But so the first question comes back to saying like, what is what is art? 
Because I think that all this stuff is designed, you're talking about art, but what's the context for what you're defining art as? Like, what does it even mean to make art? Mate, that's... What is art even? Obviously, that's a tough question, especially as a wedding photographer, because it's, you know, a lot of people don't consider us art. Right. I think any space in which we are reflected off of, um, for me, that's art. So anything in which I can take the world in and redirect it and say, because I honestly, I think art is a privilege. It's a, it's not a, a, it's not a thing that's necessary in our time. Like in a way, I, I think it is necessary and beautiful and lovely, but I could exist. One could exist, you know, thinking in a grander way without it, you know, but should we exist without it? No, I think we make the world more beautiful and more fun and more pleasant. But if I was to distill it down to anything, it's just me reflecting and showing someone else what what's impacted myself. And so, boom, I'm a reflection of the world. I used to say it was a reflection of the world off the stained glass mind. That's what photography is of of myself, of, of self, or of an artist. So, okay, I think it's a, a very legitimate interpretation of art. I think everyone's interpretation will be slightly different. Sure. One of the things I, I think a lot about is just the context out of which art is created. So I think on one side, over the years, art has really been basically two ways of being, has had two origin stories. One side of it has been, I think, political, where art is a form of expression that revolts against the groupthink of of a society, where art is meant to challenge the mentality or the, the thinking of the day. Okay. I think that's, you know, emerged with, you know, so art inspires controversy in some regard. I think another in the in the past, I think art has also been something that has been created by a patron who's commissioned work to be created for themselves, whether it's a king or a sheik or a priest or someone commissioning like the church, kind of like the church, yeah, yeah exactly, sure. commissioning art as a form of expression, but it's from money and wealth down to an artisan of some kind, whether it's you know a painter or a glass blower or like a mason to create something to benefit or so a benefactor creates something that would benefit the whatever the kingdom or the church whatever sure, sure. Um, and today in America I feel like we're a developed country we actually have you know we have money and leisure and time and you know chance to play oh uh, leisure we have leisure we have leisure yeah okay wow um, <laughs> Leisure, whatever you want to say. Hey, you whatever. Leisure from the South. Is that how they say it? <laughs> I guess that's how, that's how I'm imagining it. Leisure talk. Okay, yeah. that's really, really bad at accents. <laughs> um, but I think now we have, we're creating art to fill our time, like our, our gaps in time. Like, oh, we have free time, now we make art. And I think that is not something that's always existed. It's a unique time in history. But that's, that's not, and so I think art, that's where I think this concept of art is evolving because I think that even defining art now is totally different than how you would define what art was a thousand years ago because I think the context for creation a thousand years ago is totally different and different nuances. I think that's, a, that's an interesting conversation. We can pick that up. One of the things I want to come back to this orange skin tone things is the, the political aspect of it. Of the skin tones. Of the skin tones, yeah. In particular. In particular, orange skin tones. I, kind of, you, you were talking about you know, pasty white people and these images. You know, the, the or, Yellows are pulled down. Oranges are pulled down. I think what I've noticed is that these really orangey skin tones don't really work super great on people with skin color like mine, where it's like kind of oh. darkish, darker, or someone's like like you has really dark skin, it's black. And so I'm I'm curious about like what that says about representation in the industry, as if they're the trends are, you know, this trend is being brought forth and it's very popular. But I think part of the reason it's really popular is because it applies to people being photographed and what's absent of people being photographed is dark skin. 
because mm. the oranges are pulled out and things like that pulled out where like it shows like hey this trend works because people who don't look like the majority like people who are brown essentially or black aren't being photographed in as much um, the majority of these subjects of these photos are particularly white people and I think that's really interesting how this trend is something that can be like carried on and actually pushed through because there's such a lack of people of color in the photographs themselves hmm. um so you're saying, that, so let me get where you're going with this or where, where this thought kind of originated or you're saying that this trend only exists because, or it started with people just shooting or because of a lack of diversity is how this became possible. And if we had more diversity and the people that we were photographing and what we thought was interesting or whatever, uh, that this trend could not exist. What, I mean, not that it couldn't exist, it just wouldn't work as well. Like, it wouldn't sure. be on such a mass scale because it wouldn't be something you can click and make everything look the same. Right. Because it just doesn't work for people with dark skin. Sure. Or it doesn't work as well. Or it makes them look even more orange or even just crazy looking. Yeah. And so, I just, I wonder about that because, like, I think there's a serious lack of, you know, people, non-white people being photographed in the mainstream that I'm seeing mm-hmm. without being this a little bit of tokenism. And I'm just curious if, like, these trends could survive if diversity yeah. was at its full capacity. Sure. And I will say, you're right to say tokenism. I have seen this sort of uprising in uh, the token mm-hmm. image where it's like, I'm photographing you know, a black and a white couple, but it's more of like a token. It's mm-hmm. not like, it's not real. It's just like a style shoot or right. something like that, which honestly, I don't, I don't care. Um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at this from both sides because... There are, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people of color being photographed. They're just not being photographed in the same aesthetic that would also apply the orange skin tone. Right. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. And so, for example, I'm African-American. I don't shoot a lot of African-American weddings, but I think a lot of the, the reason for that is uh, I a lot of African-Americans like artificial light. Mm-hmm. They like flash and the production behind, you know that so that's a different sort of look totally um which is totally separate i shoot natural light not that they would not like a natural light photographer I've definitely shot um but it's not as prominent in the industry on this side now i'm just saying that because that's my that's my experience with it you know like like oh like i wonder why that, like just thinking of it now it's like oh i wonder why that is that you know this orange trend came up and because i could even say that the artificial light trend is more towards the African American side, and how come more you know white people don't go that way? But right. maybe it's because it washes out their skin as opposed to bringing in um, yeah nuances yeah. and yeah highlights yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and so that's only one side of it. But the other the other side is you're right, um, and I don't know like why do you think that is? Why do you think that there isn't the diversity in this let's let's just talk about it in this certain trend yep. of orange skin tones. Um, there isn't a lot of diversity in the way that we or the way people are editing or the people who they're people are editing. Yeah, I think that's a, I think there's a lot of things to this. I'll, sure. I mean, since we're going to talk politics and talk other stuff, I guess we'll just dive into that too. But I think some of it comes down to context. Mm-hmm. I think people who are shooting that typically, if we're honest, are like a lot of photographers are white, white people. Tend in general to not have as many friends who aren't white. I feel like that's just like I look at all the friends I had growing up. Again, I was the only Mexican in a very white suburb. Sure. And all my friends are white. I was the one brown friend of my white friends. 
And I think even, you know, as we've talked about this, you know, in our own lives, like, I think there's, I don't know, I think white people in general just don't tend to have as many friends that don't look like them. Um, that's been my experience. It's not an overarching statement. It's just what I've, what I've seen. That's one sure, thing. Sure. Second thing is I think that um, the industry is pretty, like, specific to a certain look and genre. It's very, like, it's been created out of itself. And so I think if, it recycles itself. And so I think if you have, like, a bunch of white people as photographers shooting stuff, they can come out, keep coming up with new ideas, new whatever that is, and it keeps recycling itself within that context. So I think it just creates this, like, these offshoots go and grow in a different direction, but they're all the same entities, just like white people reinventing the wheel essentially inside of that context. And it's like, this is the new look. Um, but it's not, it never has to ask for outside input because it never has had outside input really. Mm. I think that's another possibility. Another thing is I think that, um, everyone wants to get paid as a photographer. And I think realistically there's a huge income disparity between whites in America and, you know, black families, Mexican families, Hispanic families, Asian families, et cetera. And so I think the reality is that there is a level of income disparity that people are talking about doing a gaming session for a thousand dollars. People value that at different things. Like a thousand dollars to a white family might be different to a thousand dollars to a black family or a Mexican family. And I think those things are built on the income gap and economic wage gap between mm-hmm. black communities, white communities and, and Mexican communities. And, and also that, they just care about different things. Sure. Honestly too. I, on, I've seen that in my work, you know, like, yeah, the income is different and some, but so for some people, the income might be the same, but you know, I'm not going to give 10% of my wedding budget to a photographer right. versus some people who, I mean, I would personally, but right. someone might say, I'm not giving 10%. And that's both white and black, right. but where they put the, the budget at a certain, they put photography at a certain value. And if it's for what they've seen, which is probably because of the income disparity. They've right. only seen a photographer that charges it's fifty dollars right. for a session, and so why now would I charge? Would I pay someone a thousand to take pictures as opposed to a thousand to make my photograph? Right. You know? And so that's a that's interesting. So, and, but I think then that you know that whole even the income gap is built on systemic racism and things in our country that have existed for hundreds of years, and that even manifests itself into industries. But also, I think you're right. Like, but I think it does come to representation too. Like, if you, you know, are looking for images or things that like look like you or made by people that look like you, and are in, just looking in your own culture, because a lot of us that are in a certain culture exist in that culture. We have we got all of our you know, recommendations and things from people inside that culture for the most part. And so if you're like me, a Hispanic per family, a Hispanic person, um, and you ask other Hispanic people about stuff and, and you know, like who should I hire for my wedding or what should I do? Like you get answers from within that culture. And if that culture isn't connected to the quote unquote wedding industry at large, I think there's just a, the, the world just never intersect. So yeah. it just means that there's like fewer and fewer Hispanic families or Mexican families, whatever, like moving into that. Right. And I think that just means in general, I don't not like to, in a broad spectrum, that it just never, the worlds never collide. Okay, well, what do we do to collide the worlds? I mean, I'm thinking, what, what comes up to my mind real quick are, there are, like, blogs uh, for brides of color. Right. You know, and there are, you know, and maybe the masses don't know about these blogs. I don't know for sure. I know about the blogs, but do I only know about it because I'm black? I, I have no <laughs> idea. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, I don't know. I just assume that everyone sees all of the stuff. And so I have a feed of images on my Instagram account 
that are only brides of color from Munaluchi or, you know, sure. Bride or something like that, where I'm like, oh, yeah. And that's it's quality photography. Uh, sometimes it's obviously curated by the people who run it, and they're doing a great job. Whew, that was close. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's definitely uh, good, but it's definitely like, oh, these are only brides of color. Um, and, uh, yeah, so what can be done to, like, bring to bridge that gap that that gap what can be done to say like all right we see that there's this this split and that i don't think because i don't think it's intentional in the sense that someone's like i don't shoot brides of color right or you know there i think you're right is that what they see in front of them what the normal white photographer sees in front of them is a white bride mm-hmm. and so on my website i put african-americans and i should put whoever i'm photographing right but I also am connected with that world, and so I can, I photograph. I just happen to photograph whoever comes along my path. Right. Um, and, I mean, I think that's what most photographers do is they just they photograph whoever inquires. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. I think right. Obviously, like there's nothing wrong with sh- like shooting the photos for people that hire you. Yeah, but what can be done to like bridge it a little? I mean, bit that's to- that's the thing where it gets harder. I think that there are obvious things you could do. You could photograph. You can make more intention to photograph like. Diverse people groups at different price brackets, or I mean, I I think it's also. I mean, that's where I think it gets complicated. Are you is that initially suggesting that like, hey, if because you're not white, you're poor, and that's like not true, and you also don't want to like you know to insinuate that. I think for me, like, I do get asked to do style shoots sometimes, and I say, hey, part of my requirement from doing a style shoot now is that the couple has to be one a real couple, and two, I want one of the people and that if not both they can't be white because I can't photograph more white people on my feet so what you're doing is you're controlling your narrative I'm trying to yeah I'm yeah. trying to say hey I want to make sure that we include people who are a real couple and not just like let's just get one black dude and a chick who are just models to get be together like let's get a real couple who happens to be either of a different race you know, they're both black they're both Asian whatever or they're an interracial couple and you know have them be who we focus as our subject that way there is actual representation. There are actual people that look like the majority. Mm-hmm. That's a small thing. But also, that no, I, I think that's huge. I think, I think we don't understand what power we have as photographers uh, to author the way people see the world. Yeah, I think it's this beautiful. Even though it's a very simple thing that we do, we go and photograph people in love. Not that it's simple, but that's that's our job, and it's you know it's glorified because it's like oh, pretty pictures. Yeah. But what we're doing when we put our craft towards this other thing is we're saying to the world, this is, uh, this is what this world can be like, or this is the way the world is. One of two, when we put so many photographs out there, uh, or when we put certain photographs out there, what we're doing is saying, this is, this is it. So if you think about where photography came from, you know, we think about royalty and how royalty used to get painted, mm-hmm. and then... And only the only people that could be painted were these royals because no one else could afford it. Yeah. And so the vision of the world, the visual visuals of the world that we have from 30, 300 years ago, there aren't a lot of paintings of people of color or right. just regular common folks or whatever. It's of royals. It's of people, you know, chubby babies and <laughs> in picnics and you know and all that kind of stuff, which is which is a different narrative. And so now is, you know, from that came photography and people thought photography was going to, was going to end 
all the paintings. They thought it was going to be the, the end of paintings, but what happened was painting went into this kind of surrealist movement, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful. Uh, but photography started, we started taking exact portraits. And so that worth that the portrait, you know, kind of implies still holds today. We still have this ability to say, whoever is in this photograph is worth being photographed. And so I think you controlling your narrative yeah. is such a positive thing for the world to say, I've controlled the narrative or the author of what history will tell is good. And so since I'm, you're putting so much into your art and then even just seeing, like, look at this royal person. And look at this, you know, stately person. No matter of what color, you're, you are telling the next 200 years what, it, what is worth it. And so I think that's beautiful that you're doing that. I think it's wonderful. Um, I, think we, uh, I think we're all doing that. I, as photographers, even though we might not think it, we're yeah. constantly putting out everything in our photograph, every little, every side, every corner, everything that we decide that is okay to be in that image and that it's okay to be us is dictating, is us authoring what right. the world is like. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to the fact that everything that you're doing with photography, whether you mean it to or not, says something about you and about your subjects and its implications of what you're creating. And and if you, whether you, you mean it, like if you're just shooting just because you're having fun, your final product is say, still saying something. And mm-hmm. you need to know that there's something being said. Right. And I think that's where people who don't have intention behind their work necessarily or haven't thought that through are just kind of making something and are unsure of what their imagery is, is saying. I just think that's a, it's not bad. I think all of us are at a point or start at a point where you have to make something and then figure out what the heck you even want to communicate. So we all start there for sure. I just think it's important to not stay there that you have to be able to say, okay, no, I'm trying to communicate something deeper about my life or the world or how, and how do I get that across? And I, I yeah, I just I guess I would I would just challenge newer photographers to ask questions like that of themselves. Like, hey, if you don't know what you're trying to say, you should figure out some, something or just recognize the implications that your work has meaning, whether or not you see it. Yeah, meaning well past taking a pretty picture of a right. pretty person exactly. at sunset. Yep, which is great, and we all should do it. But there's a lot more. There's more meaning in the why. There's more to it than just taking a random uh, picture. And wow, Levi, I think this is what our podcast is about. <laughs> I think this is it. I think this is why, guys, I think this is why we're here. This is what we're talking about. Just like, hey, man, there's, let's shed like a, a black light. Thank mm-hmm. you, Hayden. Uh, a black light on the industry. Let's like talk about the stuff that not everyone's talking about yeah. that you can't just see. Uh, and so, uh, man, that's a lot. Guys, hit us up with topics you want us to talk about. Yep. Let us know what you what you what your thoughts are on this. Are we right? Do you see this disparity in the industry? And uh, you can let us know at blacklightphoto. Dot. I don't know. <laughs> we don't have a thing. At Levi T Arena. Dot. You can hit, just email Instagram. Yeah, L, yeah. hit Instagram. us on Instagram, lt at levitarena.com for an email. Are you at uh, are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter at levitarena. At Twitter? Yeah. I'm on Twitter as well, but I don't remember my password. You should, so, Twitter is the best social media. I'm hearing that yeah, since Donald Trump. I also like, too, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying this because this is part of the con the topic. Black Twitter is the best Twitter. Oh, there is really? a sub Twitter oh, world Twitter, for just yeah. like of black people on Twitter. I've heard this. And it's yeah. awesome because there's just so many amazing, it's just an amazing insight into being black in America and not just like 
the some like also like all the freaking joy and like victories and just like I don't know this celebration of black culture and black pride. I think yeah. it's awesome. So if you're on Twitter, Black Square is where it's at. Yeah, man. You know, it's funny what's coming up in me right now is like I have this. Probably, you know, you guys are hearing my voice. You're like, oh, dang, he's black. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, I did not think that from uh, listening to 30 minutes of him talking about accents or whatever. <laughs> uh, but there's this, like, thing that's coming up to me. It's like, oh, no. Sometimes people think that if they're hosts of color that they can't relate. You know, like, white people might be like, oh, I can't relate to that. Click. I'll go on to the next podcast. But if you're listening, uh, just know that this is for everyone. This isn't just like... A people of color podcast or a white podcast or this is this is us just talking about stuff yeah. from perspective two and dudes talking about photography dime catting dime catting. interruptions <laughs> by a baby crying dime babying <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound good. that didn't sound good yeah. riddick babying <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks for uh, checking in and joining us today it's awesome that you're listening if you made it this far i'm impressed yeah uh, hit us up on email or on twitter uh yeah that's cool. Uh, and we Black will. Blacklight Podcast. Blacklight Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Outro. Boop.